Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Welcome to the Runner's World Podcast with me, Rick Pearson. And me, Ben Hobson. Today we're talking with Haroon Mota about running through Ramadan and Kieran Alger about the latest, greatest running tech. Uh, how are you, Rick? I'm confused, Ben. Oh, good God. About? Well, I keep hearing all these conflicting things about whether runners sh- should be lifting weights, right? So I spoke with Dina Asher-Smith like a year ago, and, sh- and she, to my great surprise, was like, I never lift weights. And I was like, that's unthinkable, isn't it? Like a sprinter never lifts weights. He does other stuff, like like bodyweight stuff. And then we've had Brian McKenzie on the podcast, the, the CrossFit founder, saying, you know, runners should be lifting heavy weights three times a week and you know that's just the way it is yeah and then the most recent thing i remember this guy brad hudson another u.s coach and he's um he's trained various olympians actually and the only strength training that he gets his runners to do alongside some core work is um short sprints up a hill so like flat out efforts up a steep hill i think twice once or twice a week and he says that's basically like a sort of very dynamic version of of squatting and lunging, and that will that will give you all the kind of injury proofing benefits. Have you got any um, strength training does? Have you got any stats on me for incline? What we're we talking here? We're we talking like a yes, I have. I have. Thank, yes. you, thank you. For, thank you for asking. Yeah, ten um, percent incline. You want to be Ooh, looking at a ten percent incline. Wallet. So quite steep. Yeah, yeah, quite steep. But you can find those hills. Like I, I was had a look in London, and like the, the, the closest one to me is near Crystal Palace, and that's actually thirteen percent. So overtraining. Yeah, yeah, overtraining. So you don't, so you don't need to be in the Alps to find these kind of hills. Most cities, um, even a city as flat as London, has has hills that can uh, that qualify. How long are you meant to? How how long is each effort? This is a beauty. It's not it's not aerobically difficult at all. It's we're talking. Um, you start off at eight seconds, and then as you progress, say you do this over a number of weeks, you go up to twelve seconds, and you do about between eight and ten of these, no more. So you're not even out of breath. It's it's completely kind of. He calls it muscular training. So yeah, it's it's, it's it, absolutely. You're not like it's, it's like it's like doing five reps of big big weight. It's that sort of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, like, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Right, that's good. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, it's quite an easy sell because it's you know it's, it's over in ten minutes. Um, it doesn't it doesn't have a massive aerobic cost, so you're not like blowing out, you're not blowing out your ass at the end of it. Yeah, and uh, and actually, you know, it feels like very very applicable strength training because it's like well this this is actually like very close to the motion of running so it's got so it feels very relevant um but i'll, I'll let you know how i get on um, oh, well, but i feel like this i feel like you could get into this, hey, ben. this, this, could be your, this sounds your great bag. well because i i would i would say that i've done a bit a, a bit of both i used to go to the gym when i had a membership uh and mm. do quite a lot of um heavy lifting um sort of yeah. like, like low rep kind of fairly not like big but 
enough that it was like five reps to failure sort of stuff. And I always thought that made me actually, that did have a, a huge effect in, in, on my sh- general strength. Because I think the other thing with, the, the, with lifting a bigger weight when done properly is that it's the total, especially a squat or a deadlift or something like that, is that people think, oh, you're just doing, that's about, that's a big leg working thing. But it's not. When you're stabilizing everything, especially with your core and your thoracic and all that sort of stuff, like a big lift like that is so good for switching absolutely everything on because you're just... And that's why I guess it works with a hill because there's no way you can generate a power up a hill without using absolutely all the muscles. Um, oh, I've got some pseudoscience for you as well. Oh, I love it. One day it'll be real we need science. A we, need a, we need a jingle for pseudoscience, well, don't we? Something kind of... I know, uh, I know a man with a guitar. Techno. I know a man with a guitar, so I'll... I'll, I'll <laughs> you no, I think it's, it's, your, it's your turn. It's your turn to oh, do right. this one. Oh, right, okay. Pseudoscience. pseudoscience. Something like that. That's incredible. You, oh. that, that sounded like you... Have you rehearsed that one, no? No, it's just, I'm just musically gifted like that, Rick. I can just produce these things like off the top of my head. <laughs> Thank you for that jingle. Um, I feel like it's given this story a nice kind of, a nice bit of hype. Um, and it's all about eating during races. So the re- this new research came out and suggested that um, marathoners who ate 120 grams of carbohydrate per hour Blimey. had lower training stress and lower and less muscle damage during an event, basically. And as as you suggested there 120 grams of carbs per hour is, is is a lot i think the previous guidelines for runners were up to about 60 grams um per hour maybe up maybe up to 90 but um this shows that if you can if you can find a way to have 120 grams of carbs um that there are that there are benefits in the race and after uh the race and it's um yeah it's an interesting area because i think a lot of people don't necessarily think about their nutrition in like carbs per hour but i have heard um i have heard people talk about it like that and i think it's quite a clever way to think about fueling it it kind of i think that, yeah no one would actually reference the the carbs in a gel that they were having they just knew that they'd have to have a gel every 30 mm. minutes right that kind of that's kind of always the language around yeah and then then you're breaking down into sort of what people understand to be 100 so 120 grams of carbs is not the same as like 120, 120 calories yeah 120 grams of pasta doesn't mean you're getting 120 grams of yeah. carbs it's the carbohydrate within the pasta. so i kind of guess yeah maybe people, it's because it's, it's a bit more hassle isn't it to really break it down into the actual um nutrient value but 120 grams that's a lot isn't it in terms of gels but i think it's like if, if you look at sis gels which i guess i think are the most popular gels it, that's i think it's about four maybe four and a half gels an hour um blimey so yeah i mean that, that marathon gets more expensive doesn't it yeah yeah it does and i think your your dentist would be having you know having words oh. as well if you were doing this in in training but i put a question out on twitter i said like this is interesting but i think it'd be very very difficult to do um this with real food which i think mm. you know like lots of ultra runners don't want to understandably don't want to do 12 hours of, of gels and um this uh this chap got back to me and said it would be very easy to do if you, if you ate quince which I hadn't heard of much for, but it's like a kind of sort of jelly. And, right. Uh, so apparently, maybe maybe this is the magic food stuff. If you don't want to use gels, you can use quince. But yeah, never heard of anyone using quince before in a race. But he seemed to be quite knowledgeable. It sounds like so. something. It sounds like a Tudor would have, a, like a Tudor man would have had some quince with a like a lamb or something. <laughs> Henry the Eighth with a bit of quince and the, the the natural athlete that Henry the Eighth was. We have waffled long enough, Ben, haven't we? Probably as always. Should we get um? Should we get Kieran on for some talking tech? 
Let's do it. We're talking tech, talking tech with Kieran Naga. Talking tech. He's an awesome ultra runner. Talking tech. Talking tech. He's very charming. Talking tech. Knows his polar from his garment. Talking tech. Talking tech. Talking tech. Kieran Naga. Talking tech. Talking tech. Kieran Naga. I'll stop that. Um, Kieran, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Thanks for having me. That is still the greatest piece of music ever composed, you know. <laughs> uh, Paul McCartney was saying the same thing on the weekend. Actually, he was just he was tweeting about it and said oh, it mate. was between for him it was between Hey Jude and Talking Tech and Talking Tech had edged it. <laughs> uh, you you can tell us some stuff about Strava, Kieran. Well, yeah, but before I go into that, actually, I thought I, I thought I'd let you in on a little. Thing. I broke my own personal best the other day. I think I've basically set a record for the number of trackers that anyone has carried on a single run. So before we get into it, I'll just tell you, I had three watches, two foot pods, two belt clipped form trackers, one pair of smart insoles. They were inside a pair of smart shoes. I had a chest strap and an arm strap. I had two phones and five apps running at the same time. Now, if you guys can find a, a run that's been more tracked than that, I'm all ears. It sounds a bit like the sort of the, the, the very hungry caterpillar of running. <laughs> I feel like you have probably damaged your internal organs somehow with some sort of like radio waves or something. The streetlights were flickering as I ran past. All the five G conspiracies. Anyway, I thought I'd, I thought I'd let you know about just you know I'm out there doing it. I'm out there doing it. You know I'm doing the tests for real. Um, but yeah, I thought we'd. Um, I thought it was interesting, you know, because in the world of tech, there's a few things that have changed since the last time we spoke. And one of the big ones is Strava. Um, and there are a few things essentially that Strava is very well known for that used to be free. And those are now behind a paywall. So it's kicked up a little minor controversy. Um, and I thought we could have a little chat about that. So, that, you know, the things that have gone, really, the top ones are the segment leaderboards. You know, that was one of the things that people really sort of enjoyed. or It made Strava famous, the ability to kind of compete with other people you can still do that but you'll have to do it behind the paywall you can only now see the top 10 people for any one segment whereas before you could sort of um, filter and see how you're getting on against your running club mates or you know other friends and, and family on Strava you can you can only do that now if you go behind the paywall route planning has gone um, behind the paywall as well and matched runs which I really liked it was one of my favorite Strava features where you would see how you did against another one of your previous kind of or regular run routes on the same route. That's also gone. And one of the oddest ones I think is that, uh, and it's one of the most talked about changes I've seen on social media is the removal. There's like a monthly miles total that you would get for free in the app. And that seems to have disappeared. And a lot of people were using that to, you know, just keep a track of the miles that they've done in lockdown or just as a nice every month target to see what they were hitting. And that one has also gone. So, if you want all of those things, you now have to pay £4 per month or forty-seven ninety-nine a year. And I guess, you know, I saw, Ben, that you had written about this as well. But essentially why this has happened, really, you get down to the sort of nuts and bolts of it, is that although Strava has got, what is it, 55 million yeah, users? Like mm. not, not a small number. It's not a small number. Essentially, they still need to sort of find a way to make money out of those people who are who are using this the platform and as as such so far i don't think that's necessarily been the case so they're trying to convince more of us to go from the free to the paid and that means moving some of our favorite things the other side um 
and I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. But for me, it feels a bit. Some of it feels a bit strange. It feels like they've picked on a few features that aren't really big enough to make kind of non-paying users necessarily want to upgrade. Um, and I think there's an argument to say that for a lot of these services, we're already paying, and we pay with our data. And I've been listening out on social media to what people have been saying. And there's quite a lot of people who are already sort of saying, well, listen, I'm I'm going to take my data elsewhere. I'll go and use other services um, that offer these things for free um, and might actually switch out. So I think it's a really interesting move from Strava to do it right now. It's always going to be difficult taking things that have previously been free and making people try, you know, trying to make people pay. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I wrote, yeah, you're right. I, I wrote a thing when they I sat down with Strava and, and chat through why they were doing it. And I, I, I'm sort of, uh, you know, I'm very much in the, in, in agreement with, with them and you, I think that, um, the fact that they are a business and I think that a lot of people were for some reason just assumed that they should get Strava for free and as a platform that exists, all the work that goes into maintaining that and, and developing it and all that sort of stuff should just be there because it kind of was for, for, for one reason or another just there. And I can see why as a business they've just gone, well, that's not sustainable. We've never made a profit. So if they're a business and they want to survive, then, then that's it. So you kind of need to be, are you a Strava user to the point where you're happy to spend the price, what, £4 a month essentially, which is, you know, a pint of fancy London lager. Um, that's cheaper than that. Um, <laughs> but um, So, you know, every month, you know, that's, that's that's really not a big ask. So there's that sort of like depends what side of the you know what side of the fence you sit on that. Like is four pound a month totally like totally good value for absolutely all the reasons why you already use Strava. My argument is yeah, it probably is in terms of you know use it. But I hundred percent agree with you that if you throw into the fact the mix that they are mining data from fifty five million people, that is, I mean in in the world of big data that is you know, the most valuable asset that you've got. You've got other people's data and they can extrapolate from that um, a vast amount. Like, so when they when they were redeveloping the route tool, um, particularly for, for bike rides, um, they would u- look at the type, and I think they probably did this for running, I'm not sure. They were looking at people's kit. So if someone had noted that they were on a bike that was a mountain bike, as in by brand and make and model, then when they were building the route tool, the surface, you know, they would then be able to differentiate between paved and unpaved surfaces, kind of based on what bike was used. So if it was, if it was, un, if they weren't sure, then they could look at like, you know, the thousand people that rode that one bit of track, and they see that it's predominantly a mountain bike. Then they can work out that that's unpaved. Now, so they're inf- using all that data to inform their development, which is totally all right. But as you say, like that's that's an asset. So it's a tricky it's one. Interesting to know how these companies are selling that data on behind the scenes to all kinds of people in terms of sort of infrastructure and, you know, behind the scenes stuff. So there's money to be made out of that data elsewhere. I think what's really interesting for me actually is the idea, it's a bit of a wake up, I guess, for normal users that you'd like to think with 55 million users using it essentially as a social media platform for for runners and cyclists that they would have been able to capitalize on that and make money already. Or enough money and it's a it's actually really fascinating that that's not the case yet that would be worrying if i was driver that you know because i think the majority of people are using it for that 
And then the other area that I, I think that they really, they used to enable you to pair in something like a heart rate monitor. And that would then be able to power all of the other training insights that they've started to add into the service, which I do think add value. But I thought it was really interesting that you could almost bypass having to have a watch if you wanted to and plug straight into their you know, training insights, training load, all of these kind of things that they're offering. And I would have thought, you know, for, if you didn't want to invest in a watch, but you wanted to have a monitor, that was another way in to sort of add value. And I think that it'll be interesting to see what kind of features they now add on additionally to try and really drive that subscription kind of um, up. You know, it's um, I think they're going to need to do more because all of the other manufacturers as well have started to offer so many insights that you're getting for free. Um, you know, so I did a quick I did a quick look and I thought it'd be good for the for the listeners to hear. But so if you're missing those things and you don't want to pay, you know, you can get roots for free on Garmin. Um you can plan them, it's under the sort of training section Garmin Connect, and you can get heat maps. So I think what's interesting between Garmin and Strava is that not all Garmin users make their runs public as people might do in Strava, so you get a more limited, potentially a more limited pot of um routes to look at. But you can also find routes across the world on things like Polar Flow, sync them to your watch. There's lots of other sort of third-party um, route planning tools. Kamut is one of those that let you discover interesting routes and then sync them to your watch. And on another one, it was a big question. I've seen it pop up so many times. The monthly mileage. So like, where's my monthly mileage gone? Where else can I get it? You know, just literally just a total of how many miles you've done in the month. And it's fascinating that most of the, the apps don't make it very easy to find that. And Travel was one of the only ones who sort of surfaced it. Um, and you can get it in Garmin Connect, but it's a bit fiddly to find. It's on the Coros smartphone app, but you can only get a monthly mileage total on the Polar Flow web tools. Um, so it's really interesting, actually, that that's something. I, if I were if I were all of those brands, I'd be putting that front and center of my app very quickly. Um, and for me, I like to go a bit lo-fi on this. Actually, here's one: I just get you know get get some number magnets, stick them on the bathroom mirror. When you come back from your run, you're out, or you you know whatever you're doing out the shower. Up the total, there you go. Every morning, little reminder. When you look in the mirror, when you're brushing your teeth, you can see what kind of mile hound you are. That's refreshing. That's that's my kind of approach here, and that's good. That's kind of back back to basics. No no tech required. <laughs> I think the final thing on that Strava is that there's there's a 60 day free trial, so you know you can have a look and make up your own mind. And I think that's a really good thing that Strava has done to let people sample, it, see where the value lies. Um, one word of warning though: it's it, you have to cancel the payment if you do that. It's one of those where you pop in your your details and they'll automatically charge you after the six months trial is up but it's definitely worth a look have a look at the tools and see what you make of them so every now and then you know i like to bring you some exciting new tech that i think really has the potential to change things and i've bumped into some people who are looking to change uh, gps essentially so there's three things that always come up when we're talking about running watches that are the bugbears for most people battery life is one heart rate accuracy is the other and then gps accuracy and i think we've you know Loads of us will have been on marathon courses or, you know, run 26.5 or whatever it is, uh, or compared the results on a, on a phone app versus a running watch and wondered why one is shorter than the other. That is all down to the GPS accuracy. And there is a company called, a UK-based company called Focal Point Positioning. They've come up with something that is very clever. It's very complicated. And it basically enhances GPS, uses some of the sensors in your existing wearable or your phone to try and make those sort of dodgy distant re- distance reads a thing of the past. How it works, so it, ba- it basically co-ops all the sensors, the motion sensors you've got in your wearables and your phone, 
to capture really detailed data around your movement in real space, it crunches those with some really sort of very advanced sort of human motion modeling algorithms and the GPS traces, and it creates some sort of ultra high fidelity tracking that can pinpoint you down to centimeter level. So we're talking really specifics here. Um, and you can see, I've seen the, the, the traces, you know, you get the sort of traces, the maps that you get post run. And this compared to a normal GPS watch can be really, really accurate. So no more running through buildings, no more being kind of mapped onto sort of running down the River Thames when you're actually on the footpath. That kind of thing is what it's supposed to iron out. And I caught up actually at the end of last week with the, the CEO, Dr. Ramsey Faraher. And this guy, he's one of the leading experts on GPS. So there's not much that he doesn't know. And he basically baffled me for quite a while on the phone. But it was really fascinating, firstly, to hear why our watches and apps don't always tell the truth. And, you know, one of the things that you might not realise, that first fix that you get with your watch when you're outside your house is absolutely crucial. And often, because there are so many signals bouncing around from different satellites, bouncing off all the stuff that's in our everyday world, cars, buildings, you know, the ground, all of this kind of stuff, it's very easy to get your first fix and it can pinpoint you like 100 metres away from where you are. And from then on in, it's always playing catch up. So immediately you can start on a bad footing. The other interesting thing he told me was that you can go out with the same watch, exactly the same model of watch, same technology, and get two very different reads because of that. So as much as we try and do accuracy tests, and I'm one of the people out there doing that, Actually, it, it, it kind of depends on how and where you've kind of acquired the signal and what's going on. And then the final thing that really affects it is the, the components that you've got. So the quality of the GPS chip in there, the size of the antenna in, in, in the product, where you're wearing it, where they've actually put them in the device. And all of these things are what can create the, the discrepancies that you'll get between your phone and your watch or whatever it is that you're trying to track. So Focal Point basically is able to get through all of that. It gives you a really, really good first fix. And the benefits, which I think are really fascinating, you, know, you, you get more accurate run stats, so you'll know for, for sure, like if you've done that marathon around your backyard. Um, they showed me one of the traces of the guy who did that, that balcony marathon in Belgium, I think it was. And they went into that data, his Strava data, and they had a look at how and why it it's kind of was reading him 100 metres either side of his balcony. And they claim that they could have had that down to sort of pinpoint accuracy if they were if he was using their technology. Think about real time pacing, uh, which is very difficult at the moment. It does sort of leap around a bit when you're running a marathon, but with better accuracy, with your kind of GPS accuracy, then your real time pacing will be improved as well. Um, so hopefully that'll be an end to your watch beeping before you hit the mile marker on a marathon. Oh, definitely. Yeah, like having paced like a couple of marathons like that would be that would be a game changer from that perspective because yeah in the minute you know you're often running sort of 27 miles in a marathon aren't you and it's like kind of makes pacing a little bit more difficult yeah and, and also you know if you're if you're operating in quite a fine window where you're going to you know you're potentially past your threshold by going 10 seconds per mile faster or slower and at the moment it's quite hard you sort of you can lurch you know with your pacing this can really really help you with that and it i guess it hopefully it might put it on a on the level of sort of using power to run for better race management um no more tunnel dropouts so it actually also works indoors oh, right. so those tunnels should be fine 
And I think, you know, the other thing, we, we make a lot of trade-offs between accuracy, GPS tracking accuracy and battery life. So it's now a big feature of a, most of the main watches will let you go onto a lower power GPS mode, i.e. it's bouncing the satellites less frequency uh, with less frequency, and that saves battery life. But this gets through that because it's using sensors on your phone that aren't very, or, or your watch that aren't very power intensive and layering that up. You should be able to get more higher fidelity information, but with lower battery drain um, and things like turn by turn navigation as well. So it's interesting. It can tell whether or not you're either side of a hedge, for example. So I don't know if any for people out there who are running ultras, you'll be able to t tell if you've actually taken the right track <laughs> and not gone the wrong way in the field. It's really, it's really or, exciting, or, that, know, isn't it? That's like actually some brilliant, like brilliant developments. When is it coming out imminently? And how, I mean, how could people get hold of it so they've got this is i mean that's the thing to say this is kind of they call it deep tech so it's they will be they won't have consumer facing products they're selling to G, gps chip manufacturers and the, the watch manufacturers and they've got two different solutions one of them is a bit more long term that they're going to try and get put on all of the chips that end up in our devices the other one is a software update and they're trying to do will come sooner and we're looking sort of inside 18 months they're talking to some well-known watch manufacturers to look at getting that loaded on sooner. So yeah, I think inside 18 months, we'll be able to hopefully start to see this stuff making a big difference. And um, yeah, it's gonna put me out of a little bit of a job. There's one paragraph in every review that I've written that I won't have to write anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. Accuracy was reasonable. There's a big caveat to that. I've, I've, I've done a couple of tests with them, but I haven't yet seen all the full results of all the tracking. I've seen what they've gathered and it looks really, really good. But, you know, as with everything like this, it's always good to see it in the wild first before you make a final decision. But super exciting if we can fix that problem for sure. That's great. Yeah. Kieran, thanks very much for, for coming on and talking Strava and GPS. I uh, look forward to hearing more about Running Tech when you're, when you're next on. Yeah, I've gone deep, gone deep geek with that one. <laughs> this is the Runner's World Podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Guest of the week.
Fasted running has become something of a buzzword among runners, but Harumoto took the term to a new level when he ran 260 kilometers during the month of Ramadan. In doing so, he raised £50,000 for the Penny Appeal, the charity for which he works, and he's also hoping to encourage more members of the BAME community to take up running. So, Harumoto, welcome to the, the Runners World podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can we start with um, your journey into running? How, how did you first get into running? So... I thought it'd be a good idea to sign up to the 2012 London Marathon. I had no running experience at the time. It was the year of the 2012 Olympics in London. And I thought, hey, great time to give the marathon a go, tick it off the bucket list. I was working for the Teenage Cancer Trust on the cancer ward at the time at UCLH Hospital. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity to help the Teenage Cancer Trust with a cause that I was very passionate about. So that's how I... <laughs> ended up uh, getting involved in running. I thought it'd be a one-off item I could tick off my bucket list. And uh, I confirmed that when I got to mile 18 of the run, that I was never going to do this again. (laughs) Um, Very painful, horrible experience. So much cramp. I think I underestimated the distance. I mean, I was a fit lad back then. Um, I, I used to kind of play a lot of football. I was heavily involved in martial arts. But running is a whole different uh, athletic game, I, I, I guess. And I kind of underestimated that. And uh, it, it was a very tough experience. I got to the finish, jubilation, euphoria. But I did very much vow that I would never kind of do the marathon again. Uh, <laughs> so that's where it all started. It's really interesting that you, you've obviously continued. Because that's kind of a lot of... It's either I think that the first marathon is kind of like a... It's a do or die kind of situation. I think people, they, they go, right, that's it. I'm definitely not doing that again. Or it ignites a little fire in them. And even you have a little break away from it all, but you come back and you go, I want to do a bit more of that. For me, there were two things that kind of triggered a reason for me to, to come back. Uh, the main reason was that the following year, my father, he uh, passed away after a car accident. And it kind of like turned my life upside down. And I found myself reflecting on the reason why I do things. And I kind of felt compelled to put on my running shoes again and to run for good causes in his memory. My dad was always very supportive of everything I used to do for charity. And I think I wanted to do more to honour him. I think at the start, I felt I needed to run just to kind of help deal with the grief and to give myself that mental space just to cope with uh, the tragedy. Uh, but soon it just became about charity and fundraising. And then also when I reflected on that day uh, running the London Marathon 2012, I remember the pain, but that kind of, of course, disappeared. I kind of remembered the crowds, the energy, the buzz, the atmosphere, which is just so, so special. You only have to run the London Marathon to actually understand what I'm talking about. It is so special. Yeah. That's why like... Uh, you know, I've run the London Marathon six times since 2012. So, yeah, I, I can't get enough of it. Let's talk about your, your recent challenge then, uh, Haroon. So you decided to run 260 kilometres, wasn't it, during Ramadan? Yes, 260 kilometres in Ramadan whilst fasting. So that's uh, running whilst fasting for 18 hours of the day. Uh, so it's pretty tough. Uh, we finished it two weeks ago. So, yeah, I'm so glad it's over. 
for, any, for for anyone listening like who's unfamiliar with like I guess the restrictions of, of Ramadan, I mean, what what exactly are they, and how did that make a challenge like this so difficult? Yeah, so it's, it's it's a total fast. It's no food, no drink whatsoever between uh, pre-dawn, which is three a.m. So we can't have our breakfast any later than three a.m. And then uh, that's a total fast, no food or drink until sunset. And at the moment, sunset's about nine p.m. Well, it wasn't. 9 p.m. at the end of Ramadan and I was doing say typically 10k of running per day at about 8 p.m. so it's running at 8 p.m. having not had anything to eat or drink for the last 17 hours in the heat as well because it was quite warm in April May so yeah it was really really tough (laughs) a lot more uh, difficult than I actually anticipated I mean I didn't actually train for this it was actually on the fourth hmm. day of Ramadan that I actually decided I wanted to give this a go. So, right. uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really, really testing. So had you done, I mean, had you done like fasted runs before? Like, I mean, you know, it's quite a sort of common training method in running just generally to throw in a few fasted runs just to sort of make sure that the body can burn off its energy that it's got. Right. Right. Ten miles, like without a breakfast. Um, but the difference yeah. is that you know you can eat straight away afterwards. But uh, so it's, it's it's not in any way comparable to running in Ramadan because it's an eighteen-hour fast. And yeah, you get the idea. Oh, for sure. Was it was it difficult to decide exactly what time? Because I guess that there, there were, the other way of doing this would would be like you know get up at, at eight a.m. and do the run from eight till nine and then drink and eat nothing. Um, were you tempted at all to to do the runs in the morning rather than at, at the very end of of I the fasting? I think about you know strategy for completing the runs, and you know there's different preferences for people who train and exercise in Ramadan. People like to exercise at different parts of the day. The only thing is that if you do a run at 8 a.m. in the morning and then finish, say, at 9 a.m., you've got to go the entire day hungry and thirsty. And if you did have a struggle or a wobble even, like, it'd mean you've got the entire day to pass before you can drink and eat. However, in this instance, I know that I'd finish my run on the brink of sunset and I'd be able to drink and eat straight away. At the same time, the other idea I was thinking about was I wanted to make the challenge difficult i didn't want it to be easy i wanted to kind of test and push myself at the time of the day which would be most difficult and i think that is just pre-sunset because that's the longest duration of the fast i mean some people will exercise in ramadan but they'll do it beyond sunset so it'll be after they've drank and eaten and that's not really running whilst fasting i guess i've learned so much about my body by completing this challenge it teaches me that you know what, the body can endure so much strain, uh, pressure, difficulty, or we call it pain even. But I guess it kind of tests your resilience and builds your, your mental strength as well. And for me, that's so, so important because it gives me perspective of what I can push myself to do in future. Oh, 100%. I mean, it's amazing, actually, because you, you, you raised over £50,000 um, for the penny appeal. I mean, just for, for everyone, what, what does the penny appeal uh, aim to achieve 
So uh, Penny Appeals, a humanitarian poverty relief organisation uh, running a, a range of uh, UK and international uh, relief projects. Uh, my my programme of fundraising was for the emergency response uh, programme, which is helping people who are suffering the consequences of uh, natural disasters, war, extreme poverty, and very much serving those who are affected by the coronavirus right now by helping with food provisions, hygiene packs, etc. So, yeah, I was overwhelmed to raise, you know, over £55,000. My, my initial target was to raise just £25,000, which would, be, would have been massive anyway. But we've had so much global support, people donating from all parts of the world. Uh, it's great to see, you know, the media sharing my, my campaign. Just, you know, a few days ago, uh, Runners World shared my uh, um, my story and I've had people I've had someone message me from Malaysia saying we read your story on Runner's World and it's been picked up by people in Hong Kong <laughs> New Zealand USA everywhere I have family living in India in villages and when they messaged me saying Haroon we've seen your story I was like what like, how on earth are you hearing about it then I think that really really just I don't know, it inspires me, it motivates me to do even more when I know that, you know, people are, are, are getting inspiration from what I'm doing all across the world. Are you also, in some ways, trying to change some perceptions around exercising during Ramadan? Do you think that some people think that actually it's, you shouldn't exercise during that period and actually what you've kind of shown that it is possible to, to fit in running or some form of exercise if, you, if you're really motivated to do so? Yeah, definitely. I think this is one thing that was on my agenda here. I want to kind of challenge sort of stereotypes. And yes, we fast in Ramadan for 30 days, but that doesn't mean that we become or Muslims should become physically inactive for that month, especially like during lockdown, uh, you know, where we're all talking about supporting the NHS. The last thing NHS needs is for people to become physically inactive, which costs the NHS millions anyway. Um, so I think... Uh, Ramadan is a time that you know Muslims will observe uh, fasting, worship, prayer, charity. But I think normality needs to to manifest, and so we, people need to carry on doing the normal things that that we should be doing. So exercise is one of them, and that's one thing that I wanted to kind of set an example that you know if I can push myself to run two hundred and sixty kilometers in Ramadan whilst fasting. What's stopping from people from doing the usual things, you know, going out for a walk or, you know, spending a bit of time doing some home exercise or, you know, playing in the garden or whatever it might be. Not saying that people necessarily need to kind of become athletes all of a sudden and do crazy things. But, you know, uh, whilst fasting, uh, yes, we're kind of uh, abstaining from food and drink for a little while, but our bodies are designed and can withstand so much pressure and they can endure a lot more than we actually think without food and drink. My, my question was sort of centered around the British Asian community and then as like as a sort of a British Muslim community, how how liked is running within that community? I and mean, it's very difficult for you to speak for the whole community, but you all have a sort of greater understanding than I certainly will in, in, of the role that running plays within the community. I think it's something that kind of strikes me quite a bit, actually. I mean, when I first started running back in 2012, uh, when I signed up for the London Marathon, I ran the Coventry Half Marathon, which is my uh, my local uh, half. I ran that uh, as part of my training. I mean, Coventry is a very diverse city, but when I ran that race, I kind of looked at the um, the community that was taking part, and I thought, why is it so evident that like I'm 
like on my own. I felt very lonely running, and it, it was very evident that you know what black black and ethnic minority communities are underrepresented in 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 running running events, but just general exercise. And it's also not a coincidence then that we're also the communities affected most by health inequalities as well. I think. Uh, in, in, in recent years, there's definitely been an increase in uh, participation, which is wonderful to see. It's one thing that I try to champion as much as possible with so many sort of uh, new uh, equality, sort of sports equality initiatives out there. Um, and then also, you know, charities that are involved. I mean, the charity I work for, Penny Appeal, the majority of our supporter base are of ethnic minority communi- community. So it's great that we can use charity as an incentive and fundraising to kind of engage these communities in uh, not just running but also hiking cycling and outdoor sort of uh, adventures to get fit for good causes but I think more efforts need to be made to engage these communities to support them and help engage them in uh, in, in, in positive activities particularly running I mean I love what Park Run stands for and uh, you know uh, when possible I try to attend my local and uh, you know we're seeing more and more in uh, more and more communities, ethnic minority communities getting involved. But I think there's so much more work to be done. I'm, I'm very sort of vocal about what I'm doing, especially across social media in the name of charity, but also for diversity as well. And uh, I think many people are inspired by what I do. And I think that's the best way. I think we do need more uh, ethnic minority role models uh, in sports and, you know, just championing and kind of breaking down barriers, uh, kind of loosening them stereotypes and showing that, you know what, we're normal people and, you know, we can do it, you can do it, everyone can do it. And that's a, a positive message that we need to kind of build on, I guess. Well, I don't know. I mean, mate, I, I don't think I could do 260k after not eating anything. <laughs> I mean, that's exceptional. Uh, you know what? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, the London Marathon, they uh, announced the 2.6 challenge and um, London Marathon was scheduled for 26th of April. So I, I find myself thinking, you know, what, what can I do? for the 2.6 challenge like everyone's doing something it was so viral on that weekend across social media and mainstream news and I was running in Ramadan anyway and I think on my run on the 26th of April I was just thinking what can I do then I thought you know 260 kilometers that number came in my head for some reason I I quickly did the maths and I thought oh that's about 10 kilometers per day like maybe that's a lot more than I can do but let's just give it a go and when I got back home I just thought let me think about it uh, and I, I just thought let, let me give it a go and sometimes you just have to kind of jump into the deep end and for me you know what testing myself pushing myself physically and also for fundraising really just gives me the buzz uh, and that's what kind of uh, motivates me uh, to to do uh, things like this I guess and, and I guess that's one of the reasons why it's been such a huge fundraising success as well because people have kind of looked at this and think what like running that much in ramadan it's kind of unheard of yeah. so i guess yeah. uh, i've set the bar maybe i need to do something bigger <laughs> well, i was gonna i was gonna ask that that was, that was gonna be our final question here is that what what do you do after this have you have you thought about what next year would look like or maybe you've got some more general plans about what you want to achieve for your running yeah i i, I never thought that you know what like virtual sort of fundraising would be so huge uh, in terms of virtual events, because I've always kind of run races. I've never kind of done a challenge like virtually in the first place. And it's been so successful. And it's kind of made me think that maybe next 
Ramadan, I need to kind of step up the bar. If I've run 260 kilometers this time, you know, what, what can I do to beat that? Yeah. I'm also... 260 miles, about, maybe? <laughs> possibly, but uh, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be discreet. But I, I, I can say that I'm thinking about more, more than that even. I'm oh, also wow. actually thinking about the, the London Marathon, uh, whether it's possible to even run that whilst fasting. Uh, I mean... That would be that is somewhat a dream. I mean, this year twenty twenty was the first year that London Marathon clashed with Ramadan, so I hadn't actually planned to run London Marathon this year for that reason. But it was only until the London Marathon was postponed because of coronavirus. Now that it's scheduled for October, that I'm deciding to run. But I guess next year it's uh, it's clashing with Ramadan again. I mean, to run forty two kilometers with no food or drink uh, during the race would be a challenge itself. But then to complete that and not be able to drink again or eat until 9 p.m., that's going to be even tougher. So I'm kind of entertaining the thought of uh, running that marathon as part of a bigger challenge where maybe I try to complete X number of uh, miles in that month as well. It's just kind of a thought I'm entertaining at the moment. But I know that if I wanted to attempt that, I'd have to train. I mean, that's why I'm training. I'd have to build my, my fitness, my endurance, uh, you know, to a level that I can undertake that, and of course, take take some advice from uh, medical specialists, uh, which uh, which would be very much uh, required as well. Uh, I mean, I have access to the uh, local university here, the sport and exercise science department as well, which have been very helpful uh, to me in the past when I've like needed to altitude train. They've got like an environmental chamber there, and I've got a I study sport and exercise science myself as well, so I've taken a particular interest in sort of uh, human physiology and uh, what the body is capable of. So I think uh, I'd probably refer to them and see how they might be able to support me in uh, something like this. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I've got one more question before you go. And this is because after any long run or any run, that first thing you have to eat or drink is always pretty great. So what were you having immediately after your runs? What was the first thing you were going for? Well, in, in Ramadan, like when we break our fast after 18 hours, it's, it's actually uh, an Islamic ritual that we break our fast eating dates, right. uh, which are high, high, high in sugar anyway. So my routine was to take back three dates and then immediately knock back a, a litre of water. I think for me at that time, priority wasn't so much what tastes good and feels good, it's what my body needed. Uh, I was weighing myself before and after every run and I was losing typically a kilo or a kilo and a half on every run. I sweat so much. Uh, so that's all fluid loss. So my priority was to try and drink uh, three and a half to four liters of water between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning, which was so difficult because, again, you feel so bloated with that much water and you also need to try and eat as well and sleep. So, yeah, so <laughs> I think my uh, routine dates lots of water and then get onto just my main meal which was primarily carbs uh to be honest i wasn't so uh, interested in the tasty stuff but when uh, ramadan finished and when eid came the sugar and the cake was yeah well earned i think very, very well earned in your case yeah thank you yeah i mean i've uh, taken a week off since uh had a good rest uh, and i just started training again last week so I've completed week one uh, of my training uh, in preparation for London, Chicago, and New York. There's a big chance that these races won't go ahead. 
but I've got to prepare myself nevertheless. Yeah, you've got to be ready. We'll see what happens. Oh, well, best of luck. I hope they do. I mean, uh, yeah, who knows what's going to happen towards the end of the year, but let's hope some racing does happen so that, uh, yeah, people can have a slice of uh, racing normality. I think that would be, uh, be nice to see the year out, maybe. Definitely. It's great speaking to you guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thank Mate, you. Thanks so much, much for coming on. It was great to talk to you. This is the Runner's World Podcast. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runner's World Podcast. A big thanks to our guests, Kieran Alger and Haroon Mota, and to you, of course, for listening. The Runner's World Podcast is available on Acast, iTunes, and all of your favourite podcast apps. Just search Runner's World UK. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you again next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.